We focus on absolutely every single piece of information that comes out of the combine. And certain measurables are undeniable. So hand size with the quarterback might feel absurd to talk about, but it became the biggest story around one of the top prospects today at the Combine, and it will affect everybody picking in the top 10 of the NFL draft. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at Sirius XM, Channel 80. Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, and I'm going to get straight to the straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. I don't care about hand size any more than you do, but... There is a reality for quarterbacks when you're talking about Kenny Pickett, the pick quarterback that is expected by many to be the top quarterback in the draft. You're talking about Mel Kuyper's number one quarterback on his big board, had him as the number 11 pick to Washington in his most recent mock. Well, all of that took a little bit of a hit today because Kenny Pickett has small hands, eight and a half inches at the combine. Now, remember, Joe Burrow. Uh, last year, had a, or a couple of years ago, I should say, there was a lot of controversy about his hand size. We joked about it. Joe Burrow's hands were over nine inches, right? There's been no quarterback in the NFL right now. There is no quarterback in the NFL with hands that are only eight and a half inches. Of 663 quarterbacks with measured hand sizes since 1987, only nine had smaller hands than Kenny Pickett. The last successful quarterback with tiny hands like that, Mike Vick. So what's it all mean? Why do you care? Especially if your team doesn't want a quarterback. Why do you care? You care because right now everything's about leverage. See, there's one thing that's going to happen at the Combine that every single team picking in the top 10 should be desperate for. Quarterback hype. That one's simple, right? Because you'll trade up to get a quarterback. You'll fall in love with a quarterback. GMs, coaches, owners, they're not that different than fans. They look at it and they see that little twinge of hope. We've been talking about it all week, that the combine and the draft offers fans and and franchises the opportunity to quickly turn things around. And the best and easiest way to turn that around? Get a quarterback. So when you know walking into the room, you're speed dating all these different players that play all these different positions, but you know you need a quarterback. Oh, got to fall in love. You got to fall in love right away. Says love is blind. You're sitting there, you're trying to fall in love quickly. Harder to do with small hands. Mike Tannenbaum, our front office insider, had this to say about Tiny Hands Pickett. His ball security got better as the career went on. I believe he only had four lost struggles this past season, guys. So you're going to want to look at the tape. Uh, Hand size measurement is part of the discussion, but there's other factors to it as well. And I think so much is made of it. You know, like when you do someone's height, sometimes they're taller in the morning than they are at night. So certainly everyone's going to talk about the magical nine-inch hands, but he's a good player. He'll be a good player for a long time. That's the important piece that so many fans need to hear right now. Straight talk, straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. Again, I've got like baby hands. I can't even palm a child's basketball, right? So who am I to question Kenny Pickett's hand size? But every little seed of doubt can be a reason that another team decides not to move up, and that is is the seal of debt. See, I'm talking to teams right now that don't need quarterbacks. We become so obsessed with, you know, what quarter what teams are going to pick which quarterbacks. We forget that there are several teams in the top of the draft that may not have a need right now. I mean, you could make the argument, obviously the Jets aren't in the quarterback market, so what do they care about Kenny Pickett's hands? Well, the Jets care because when you're picking as high as they're picking 4 and 10 in this year's draft. When you've got the 4th overall pick, oh man, it becomes really easy to look at everybody else. Washington sitting there picking at 11. 
Is Washington going to let everybody else pick? No, they're going to try and move up. That's the way you get extra draft capital. Now, I'm the first to say that most teams that are bad are bad because they draft poorly, right? Most teams that are are awful uh, have blown the draft year in and year out. You heard that on the sports beat in your local markets. I mean, I think we put a little bit too much hope behind all of this because we look at it blind. But if you are a team like the Jets, you're a team like the Giants, you got two picks in the top ten, you want to turn that into more? The best way to do that is to force somebody to trade up to get that quarterback. Now, not all is lost for the quarterback market, though, because Malik Willis, the Liberty quarterback, is thriving. Everybody says that his interviews have been spectacular. Those are the sorts of nuggets that you need out there. Those are the sorts of nuggets that are going to make everybody freak out. Matt Corral, Ole Miss quarterback. You know, everybody's going to start freaking out about these quarterbacks. And the more in love we become with the concept that – these quarterbacks are worth trading up for, oh, the better for the teams picking in the top 10. Now, what would actually be best for these quarterbacks? It's a much different conversation. I would argue that Malik Willis would be far better off being drafted later in the draft, later in the first round, and going somewhere he doesn't have to play right away. Put him in somewhere where he can actually get a little bit of time to figure out who he is as a quarterback. Maybe that could help him be successful. Matt Corral going somewhere where he doesn't have to play year one. Now we're talking about a different conversation. But those are the guys that are going to shine. Those are the guys that are absolutely going to shine through everything that happens. Because realistically, that's what all of this is about. It's about hype. The players, the agents, the teams, they're all going to try and hype these guys up. I don't think any of the quarterbacks in the first round of this year's NFL draft are worth drafting if you need to start them this year. Let me be very clear about that. But, man, I also am a realist. And Washington's sitting there at 11. Washington's desperate. Denver's sitting there at 9. Denver's desperate. Carolina's sitting there at 6. Carolina's desperate. Can they have the constraint to do what they should do? Can they have the willpower to sit there and look at all of the tastiness that comes with drafting a quarterback and instead, man, say, I just need a great player. I need the best player I could possibly get. I don't think so. And that means all of a sudden, everybody's going to find a reason, an excuse, a way to justify Kenny Pickett, the pretty good quarterback out of Pitt that might be an okay quarterback in the NFL with tiny hands as the savior for a franchise. That's the problem this year. And the funny thing is, we won't remember this context in five years when we look back at this year's draft and we say teams blew it left and right. They blew it when they took quarterbacks. This is a really good draft with really good players. The problem is, this isn't a sexy draft. This isn't a quarterback draft. This is a solid draft full of lunchbox guys that can absolutely come in and change the direction of your franchise. Go get you a Kayvon Thibodeau. Go get you an Aiden Hutchinson. Go get you the best player on the board. But nobody's going to do that. They're going to continue to find ways to justify why Kenny Pickett is going to be the answer, even though he has tiny hands. I want to know the answer from you. We're going to open up the lines today. 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Speaking of quarterbacks, we'll get into this a little later. One NFL team actually had the you-know-whats to call the Kansas City Chiefs and ask them what it would take 
to acquire Patrick Mahomes, which I can only respect right now. So I want you to hit me up either on Twitter, at Jason Fitz, or call 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Tell me, what's the most you've ever sacrificed of anything to get what you want? Like, what's the most absurd thing you've ever sacrificed to get something you absolutely had to have? I'm still trying to imagine what that conversation was like when the Chiefs picked up the phone and realized somebody was actually asking about the availability Patrick Mahomes. Speaking of availability, KD is available. He's set to make his return to the Nets after 21 games off. How much did the Nets' fortunes just change? We'll ask our buddy Nick Friedel when he joins us next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. KD is back, set to make his return to the Nets after 21 games off. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. Uh, I always want to be transparent with you guys. Uh, Obviously, because of the timing of tonight's uh, game, we were able to talk to Nick Friedel, our ESPN NBA reporter, but we weren't able to talk to him right now. He has to be at the arena. So uh, with that in mind, I do want to tell everybody we've got a Woj bomb as it is now uh, all over the place. It looks like it looks like Nets GM Sean Marks has announced that Joe Harris will need season ending ankle surgery. That's actually via an interview on the Yes Network. Sorry, Yes Network didn't mean to uh, deny you the love there. So Joe Harris will be out for the remainder of the season. That is huge news, but not something we were able to ask Nick about because it wasn't news at the time. That being said, we were able to ask Nick about tonight and the Nets. I want to get some insight from our buddy Nick Friedel joining us, ESPN NBA reporter. And Nick, you've been covering all of the chaos that's known as the Nets. KD going to make his return. 21 games gone. Is he on a pitch count? Is he full go? Like, what's the plan? They're going to be really cautious, Mr. Fitz. And the the reason is because he's missed a month and a half. But Kevin Durant calls all the shots in this organization, and he'll be calling the shots tonight. They're going to check with him throughout the game. I wouldn't expect him to go to 40 minutes or anything like that, but they need wins, and they need Kevin to play to get those wins. So they know they've got to check him throughout the game. They've got to make sure he's feeling all right. But I wouldn't worry about them hitting some limit at the end of the game and saying, ah, we ran out of time. It's Kevin Durant. He feels good, and he feels like he can come back and play at a high level again. You said feels good, and I want to drill down there because, you know, the the regular season is meaningless, right? It's all about the playoffs for the Nets. Why now to bring him back? Because he feels the best he's felt since the knee injury occurred, and I think he gave himself some extra time to make sure of that because he said it this morning. I thought it was crucial. He said he was still dealing with some pain going through that losing streak. And I I do believe him when he said it was killing me not being out there because Kevin is well aware of the narrative around this team. He knows how much people rely on him to produce and to be better night to night. And he knows he can't do anything sitting on the sidelines when he's hurt. So I thought that was an acknowledgement that was worth noting because he knows that – he is the guy that makes it all go here. And he knew he was dealing with some pain still. That pain has gone away. The hope is that he comes out and plays at a high level now, and they find a rhythm these last six weeks of the regular season. But the reason it's tonight is because finally he feels comfortable that the pain isn't there, 
And I think he's mentally ready to make that last push going into the postseason. So I'm not sure the last time we heard as much conversation about a team coming into the season as we did this year about the Nets and their big three. Now they've obviously traded Harden for Simmons. Are the Nets today, and not not just the Nets, but KD specifically, is he under more or less pressure now post-trade than he was? I think he's under less pressure this second, fifth, but it's an interesting question because the rest of this season, it will always, always go back to KD and Kyrie. But I don't think anybody who's followed the situation with this team this year knows hey, for as much talent as they have, there is a lot of uncertainty. Is Kyrie going to be able to play in home games at some point? Is Simmons going to come back uh, at some point this month? And when he does, what level is he going to play at? So even the people who have gone after Kevin and criticized him through time, I think if you're being fair to him, you can't expect him to be a miracle worker with the variables in play. Now, moving forward into next year, knowing that Simmons will be here, knowing that Kyrie's contract situation is still up in the air and the Nets and Kyrie have to figure out what they want to do, there's always going to be criticism because people will always say, well, gee, why did Durant leave the Warriors? Or why did he attach his future to Kyrie, who nobody's quite sure what's going to happen really on a day-to-day basis? Those are all questions for a different time. For right now, I don't feel like watching this team being around them day to day that he's got more pressure on him because they made the deal. Harden said he didn't want to be there. And Durant knows that he's just got to come back and play as well as he can. And as he said, let the chips fall where they may. We're talking to ESPN NBA reporter Nick Friedel on Spain and Fitz. Jason Fitz flying solo. And, and you just mentioned Kyrie. A lot of us yelling about Kyrie, but you're around this team every day. What's the general vibe from the players around the entire Kyrie situation at this point? Fitz, I know Harden had his issues with Kyrie and the, the lack of the, the vaccine shot because Harden said it. <laughs> After that Bulls <laughs> game, he said, I'm going to give Kyrie the shot myself. And everybody kind of went, whoa, okay. Uh, but now Harden's not here anymore. And I can tell you because I've had these conversations with a lot of these younger players on the roster. They love Kyrie. And it doesn't really fit with all the people that are criticizing Kyrie and criticizing the Nets. They shouldn't have brought him back. You have to remember, the young guys love him, and nobody has stood by his side publicly more than KD. And the Nets have, too, uh, from a a front office standpoint. Sean Marks, their GM. So uh, what people have to understand here is, while uh, there is frustration, certainly, that he hasn't gotten this shot, he's he's not going to get this shot, and the team is waiting for the Vax mandate to be pulled back. The guys on the roster really look up to him, a lot of those young guys, and uh, I think they're just hoping that he comes back and provides that emotional lift in these last couple weeks and into the playoffs so that they feel like they can still win a title, which fits is crazy because they're the eighth seed. They've lost a ton of games, but they know with Kyrie and KD on the floor, it's possible. Yeah, I mean, so stick there. Let me get benefit of the doubt before we let you get out of here. KD comes back. He's healthy. Everything's great. Kyrie finally gets to play home and away games. Then we get Ben Simmons. No idea what version of Ben Simmons we get, but if all of those things happen, are the Nets still the best team in the East in your mind? I think they can get out of the East, yeah. And and it just – you in order to believe that, Fitz, you've got to believe in something you can't see right now. <laughs> and it's tough given what we've seen. But 
Kyrie is unbelievable offensively. Kevin Durant, for my money, is still the best player in the game. And Simmons, even if he comes back not at the same level, but at a high level uh, after being off for so long, where his strengths are are where they're deficient. Perimeter defense, getting the ball up and down the floor, creating for everybody else. So I think they can get out of the East, but a lot of different things have to fall in place the right way. And if Kyrie can't play in home games, or Simmons comes back and he's not exactly the same, I don't think it can happen. Well, Nick, you'll always be my KD. You're the best. Nobody does it any better. And we appreciate your insight and your time, my friend. Uh, have, a, uh, have a joyous evening in Brooklyn. Uh, I, I don't know if it's possible, my man, but I will do my best. I promise. Thanks for giving me up. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-poly... Po- Ooh, try that again. Get a multi-policy discount by combining your car, home, motorcycle, commercial auto, auto, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save at Progressive.com. Now, again, the big news that is coming out, uh, that is breaking, Joe Harris will miss the remainder of the season and will undergo season-ending surgery on his left ankle. So as much as we have eyes, obviously, on the return of KD tonight, it's not all going to be simple, uh, realistically, uh, for the Nets. But nothing this year in the NBA does feel simple. It feels like survival is just part of the process. And, And I don't know why it seems like we've gotten such a shell of so many teams. But realistically, we've gotten very little time where we've had everybody on the court at once to give us the best example of who everybody can be. Like, it's a strange year to try and figure out exactly how good any of these teams are because we've seen so little of so many of these teams actually on the floor together at once. That being said, I will say continually, and I'll say this throughout the course of the rest of the season, the Nets are never going to be judged by what happens tonight. They're not going to be judged by what happens for the rest of the regular season. The Nets will only be judged on whether or not they can win a championship. That's it. Like, that's all history will remember because we have, for some reason in the NBA, anointed a world where just being good doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is if you get a ring. And anything less than a ring means that you are an epic failure. I don't know why it has become that. Frankly, I would not make it that but it's way past my pay grade. Like, that is where NBA fans have taken it. It's only about chips. So, if the Nets and KD don't get one, then no matter what, the yelling and screaming is only going to get louder, even though, as Nick Friedle just pointed out, maybe we should wait till next year to judge what we now see as the current version of the Nets. All right, James Harden made his debut in Philly last night. The reception was incredible. You'll hear what it meant to him next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. I'm out on Kenny Pickett. Out completely. The show has taken a drastic turn in the last 30 minutes. I wouldn't draft him for anything. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. The big controversy today, if you want to call it that, came out of the NFL Combine. We'll get to the NBA in just a second. All right, but this is pressing. All right, the big controversy was that Kenny Pickett measured in with eight and a half inch hands. Now, I sat here and said, I've I, I got no room to talk. I've got tiny baby hands. And I'm willing to admit this. Like, y'all, when I say I have tiny hands, Damian Woody, the first time he went to shake hands with me, looked at me and said, nah. And I was like, what? And he's like, I, I, your hands are so small, I, I don't want to hurt you. Like, that was real. My hands are so small that I struggle to palm a kid's basketball. I cannot palm a woman's basketball at all, and I don't stand a chance with a regular basketball. Like, there's a reason that anytime I play basketball, somebody's like, let me get right up on him because my tiny hands don't stand a chance to be dribbling right. Like, there's no way, all right? My hands are so small 
that I once had a violin teacher tell me that my hands were too small to play the violin. How, how small do your hands have to be to not be able to play the violin, right? My hands, I, I measured them during the break. I, I, I watched a video. I saw how they measure them at the combine. I was like, well, let's get the point of reference here. Again, Kenny Pickett, eight and a half inches. I stretched my little tiny baby hands out. I got them as far stretched as possibly could. I measured it eight and a quarter inches. My tiny hands are eight and a quarter inches. I almost have Kenny Pickett hands. I am, I'm out. Like, there's no way that you can handle somebody slapping. Like, any time that my buddies that work at ESPN that played in the league come around and just decide to roughhouse with me, like, I know that I'm probably going to get hurt. I'm a little guy, right? If you come up, I can't imagine Woody coming up and slapping anything out of my hands and me thinking that my baby hands would be able to hold on to it. Devin, tell me I'm wrong here, but I don't. I, I think this is the analysis the world needed on hand size. I, I think this is reason enough to to completely strike Kenny Pickett off my draft board. Fitz, while you were doing while you were doing that in here, we were all on with an app on our phone measuring our hands, and I don't know if it's just a coincidence or or this thing is not uh, foolproof, but we all have eight inch hands apparently so we're even smaller than you are no this can't be oh, right. it's fake I, it's i do, i'm out on it it's fake news there's no way we all have the same size i'm taller than devin i'm six one six two there's no way yeah no, what does it have to do with anything it does it has, there's it it correlates okay just no, trust me look i i appreciate you young whippersnappers always going to your apps and your phone products all right like that's fine. Uh, get get like a, a tape measure. You know, tape measures like something. We're at ESPN. Somebody call facilities. What's a tape measure? It, it's a, this thing that you know old people use to measure things. Or like Devin, if you ever get responsible enough to own a house, you might have to actually like use the tape measure. I have gone off the rails. I am boom rusted. <laughs> It's Peyton Fitz, Jason Fitz flying solo. In case you couldn't tell, Sarah would never let me get away with roasting Devin that way. Uh, Let's move to the NBA, though. It's a big night uh, because, as we were talking about earlier, we know that we've got KD returning after 21 games gone. And it raises a question about the, the power rankings in the Heat. Right now, the Miami Heat would sit as the number one seed if the playoffs started today. Sarah's Chicago Bulls at the two seed. The 76ers three, the Bucks four, the Cavs five, the Celtics six. I won't go any farther than that because it doesn't really matter. So the question is, when you're talking about that top rank, how does it change now that KD's there? Because I think there's two different conversations to have. The conversation about how will the East stack out at the end of the regular season? I could see the Heat being the number one seed. But does that mean they're the best team in the East? Like right now, if you had to put your house up on the Heat versus the Sixers on a seven-game series in the playoffs, who are you taking? Because that's what we start talking about when we talk about who's really the best in the East. It's not about who's the best right now. It's about who will be the best when the season ends. Now, Billy, working on our show, you're a huge 76ers fan. Uh, are, are you feeling froggy? Like, Harden made his debut last night. Are you feeling froggy about where the 76ers are today? Oh, a thousand percent. I mean, I just think the addition of James Harden helps so much. Uh, uh, an elite ball handler and a guy who who really just makes everybody better. He really has elevated Tyrese, Maxey, Tyrese Maxey's game, and I really think he he, he unlocks Tyree, Tyrese Maxey to the fullest. Like, it's, it's just... It's great watching him play. And, I mean, he talked about it uh, after the game. He, you know, Harden, he had a bad first half. Harden asked him, you know, are you going to play tonight? And he laughs it off and comes, <laughs> you know, comes into the second half and, and and turns up. Like, that's what we need. We need a guy who makes guys better. Not that other guy that was here who was light-skinned and was scared to shoot the ball. We needed a guy in here to make guys better. And that's what Harden's doing. 
Okay, well, and, and with that being said, James Harden, after the game, was asked about his Philly home debut. This is what Harden had to say. Uh, it was great, man. Just uh, the excitement uh, from the beginning of the game. You know, I felt the energy. I felt the love. Um, so I wanted to just come out there and, uh, and show my love back. And I uh, just wanted to play well on both ends of the ball, uh, ultimately get the win. I think, you know, we started off a little slow, especially in that first half for whatever reason. But second half, we picked it up. We were more aggressive on both ends of the ball. And uh, we played our, our brand of basketball. See, I, when I hear him talk, when I hear Harden talk, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain uh, out on vacation, Jason Fitz flying solo on ESPN Radio. When I hear Harden talk, I realize that maybe what I need to recalibrate are my expectations and what we're looking at. Because we spend so much time talking about, well, that's right now. I mean, Harden's happy right now, but what's it going to be when things get a little bit more difficult? What's it going to be when things get hairy? What's it going to be next year? Well, maybe it doesn't matter. I mean, maybe none of us should care. Like, let's go back in time a year ago right now and reimagine some of the conversations we were having about the Knicks, some of the conversations we were having about the Hawks, how good those teams were – looked like they were going to be for a period of time, right? Like how you could look at it and say, yeah, they've got this figured out. No, they don't. Both of those teams this year are worse than bad. They're irrelevant, right? So maybe instead of worrying about who Harden's going to be next year, we should worry about the Sixers this year being a problem because they've got happy Harden. Now, Brooklyn lost out on happy Harden. They had him for a little bit, for a second, and I really don't fault that. When you start thinking about what they expected in Brooklyn, Kyrie, KD, Harden, expected to be able to show up every night and have this sort of Harlem Globetrotter blast where they beat the snot out of everybody, had a blast doing it, nobody can compete with them, they get to play with their buddies, it'd be carefree, they'd hang out, they'd have fun doing what they love. Turns out it wasn't that easy. Turns out it wasn't that vibe. Turns out it wasn't what Harden needed. So Harden separates himself from it. He forces his way out of town, and now he goes to Philly. And it's easy for all of us to turn around and say, oh, what's he going to do when he's unhappy for Philly? But ultimately, if I'm a Sixers fan, my answer to that is, who cares? Like right now, in this moment, if he's happy, right now, in this moment, if Harden and Embiid can continue to play this well together, right now, in this moment, boy, Sixers fans got to feel good. Preach, brother. Look at that. I mean, right now today, if you're looking at the East, I can make an easy, easy, compelling argument that there's a problem matching up with the 76ers in a seven-game series. I think right now the East is squarely between two teams, Milwaukee and Philly, which is what we expected coming into the season. Even though it's been a wild ride to get there for both teams, it's what we expected. And I'm looking at this Philly team, and I'm thinking, golly, Are we so consumed with the drama of the future in the NBA that we forget that the real goal has nothing to do with next year and the real goal has everything to do with trying to win it all this year? Hard to look at the way that Philly team played with a a happy Harden and say that team is not capable of winning it all. And if that's the case, if Philly wins a championship, who the hell cares if Harden's a, a more difficult person to deal with in the coming years? All Philly should care about is right now. And right now, a happy Harden means everybody in the East should be worried. All right, we're going to take your calls. Uh, One team in the NFL actually called the Chiefs to ask about trading for Patrick Mahomes. 
Seriously, that actually happened. We'll tell you who it was. We'll give you the whole story. And most importantly, I want you to call me and tell you, tell me, what's the most you've ever sacrificed to get something you absolutely wanted? What's the most you ever traded just to get that one thing you had to have? 888-ESPN-888-729-3776. We'll tell you who this crazy team is, and we'll get some of your calls next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. I can't imagine the moment that anyone within the Kansas City Chiefs organization picked up the phone and realized that they were being asked about the trade availability of Patrick Mahomes. But things have gotten so wild for one team that that actually happened. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. Tune in Saturday. College basketball action. Kansas hosts Texas. Coverage begins at 3.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. It is a big weekend in college basketball. We'll get into this a little tomorrow, but obviously uh, the last time that we will see Coach K in North Carolina, barring something happening in the ACC tournament or in the NCAA tournament, going to be a wild, wild Saturday. And you can hang out uh, with me and Christine Williamson at 9.30 a.m. Eastern across all ESPN digital platforms for countdown to college game day. So a little plug in there. In the meantime, the Washington Commanders need a quarterback. You know, and, and that's fine. We all know that the Washington Commanders need a quarterback. And I appreciate being confident. I appreciate being aggressive in the pursuit of a quarterback. I appreciate the fact that, in my mind, the commanders built their roster very much along the same approach as the San Francisco 49ers. Let's make this team as good as possible and then just find a quarterback, even if it's just a pretty good quarterback, and we'll be okay. All right? So I understand that that was the plot. The problem is, as we've detailed over the last two days repeatedly, there's not even okay on this quarterback market that really makes a lot of sense. So now Washington's desperate. And according... To John Kime, ESPN uh, Washington reporter. Uh, according to Kime, the, after the struggles of the last four seasons, this is the quote. All of this is why, according to a source, Washington has reached out to every team to inquire about a quarterback's availability and the cost. The team started its search with a list of 42 quarterbacks. That means somebody picked up the phone and said, hey, guys, what's it going to take to get Mahomes? I can't even imagine what the answer to that would be. And I'll tell you squarely, the answer is nothing, right? There's there's literally nothing you could give anybody in the Chiefs for Patrick Mahomes. I don't care if you want to give him your whole franchise. It's not worth it. You would never recover from the backlash you would get from fans. Obviously, it wouldn't make your team better no matter what you got in return. And you've got the best quarterback. I mean, I don't want to oversimplify here, but this is Mahomes we're talking about. There's nothing you could give. But it makes me feel like there's a little inspiration in all of it because, frankly, this is the world's biggest overreach. Like We all know that person in your friend circle. You uh, you get together on a Friday or Saturday night. You're going out to the bar. Your buddy's single. He wants to meet the, the love of his life. And he walks into the bar, and the first thing he does is he finds the most beautiful girl in the entire room, and he's just he's staring at her. He's, he's waiting. He's going to go buy her drinks. He's going to shoot a shot. He's going to make this happen. He's going to convince her that she should go out with him. And the whole time you're looking at your buddy and you're thinking, man, you're a solid six. Like you are out of your league. This is not going to work out well. That's what this phone call is like for the Washington Commanders. I mean, in this situation, whatever they would be offering would be a solid six. It would never work. And there's nothing that could ever make it work. But I appreciate the boldness. 
it also sort of sets the market, you know, because they can turn around there and get at least an idea. Triple eight, say ESPN, 888-729-3776. What's the wildest thing you've ever traded to get something that you absolutely loved that you wanted? You can call in the show. Tell us uh, the, the wacky, wild trade that you've ever made. Like I used to when I was a kid, um, you know, with, with lunch money. We were talking about this as we were prepping the show today. I used to uh, take my the lunch money I got from my parents because we didn't have anything growing up, and I would save it all week. So I just wouldn't eat during the week, and that was uh, fine. When I was a little kid, I would go into New York uh, for music stuff on the weekends, and I would go do like my lessons and classes at Juilliard, and I would then go to the garden, and I'd have whatever change I had in my pocket. Uh, I would just go to a scalper after the tip-off or after the puck dropped, and I'd be like, all right, I got like four bucks. What do you got? You know, so I'm like this 12 year old kid negotiating with somebody to try and get a ticket, which is why I have Madison Square Garden as part of my uh, life tattoo on my arm, because playing the garden later in my life was special after having gone. So that was like a crazy way out of my league trade. But I also was the king of saving the lunch money in high school. And then you'd wait till Friday and you get the best thing you could possibly get. And once you got the best thing you could get, then you could turn around and have all the leverage. So Friday, like I was riding high. Like Friday, I knew that I had like a you know a, a, a good tray of food that I knew I was going to be able to get something in return for. So it, it, it's all about the strategy on it. Devin, producer extraordinaire, uh, do you have a like? Is there a big uh, trade that you've ever pulled off to to try and get yourself a, a dream something, dream situation? Not really, but I mean. At, you know, as we were talking the the lunch money stuff, the lunch trades, it, it'd be more one to one stuff. You kind of you try to swindle people out of out of the good good items. You'd have to you'd have to really you know be good at scouting what people like, what people didn't like, and and offer you know fair trades and and sometimes not so fair trades. But Fitz, I want to turn this back to you real quick. I was thinking about this with the situation about Patrick Mahomes. You're a diehard Raiders fan. If the Raiders offered the Chiefs. Derek Carr, and eight first-round draft picks. And they said, yes, the Chiefs. Would you be happy with that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, whatever eight gets me. First, eight first-round draft picks. Eight. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Draft picks are pointless. Oh, man. I, like, And this is, uh, again, I can't believe the amount that I am just, you know, wetting all over the draft, which, y'all, if you've never listened to me before on this show, I say this all the time. The draft is my my actual favorite sporting event of the entire year. I like the draft more than the Super Bowl. I like the draft more than the NBA Finals. My dra- the draft is my favorite thing to cover. It's my favorite thing to work on. I love it. I love every. I love the draft more than I love Saturdays and college football. That's how much I love the draft. But let's be real. Like uh, you know, at, at some point you can look at all of it and say. Uh, do, do you really need those draft picks? Like, I, how many times would you try to draft a Patrick Mahomes before you realize you just can't find him? I mean, Dev, you're a Giants fan. You're stuck with Daniel Jones. Like, you're telling me that if, if I told you you had to give up a decade worth of draft picks but you could have Mahomes, you wouldn't still do a cartwheel for that? You wouldn't actually look at your friends and be like, we don't need first-round picks any, any, anyway. They'd be at the bottom of the first round. No, I mean, I, yeah, I, I would eventually give in to that because it is Patrick Mahomes and he's otherworldly. But at the same time, a team like the Giants, they have so much they need help with, and ideally this year they have they have two first round picks in the top ten. Like that is extremely valuable for a team that needs a lot of help. So that's that's my only caveat. It would it would have to do with the team, but like you said, like you can find diamonds in the rough later in the draft. I, I'm risk averse as a person. Like I, I'm like I, I would always sit back with anybody that has ever. 
managed any money with me and say, I'm sorry. Like, I'm that guy that's like, ah, I don't know if we should really, you know. I, I, I sit at a, a, a blackjack table, and if it's if it's more than five bucks a hand, I'm out. And once I've lost, like, three straight hands, I'm done for the day. Like, I'm going to go to the free buffet. I've, I've played all I'm going to play. Like, I am the worst when it comes to risk. And the draft is the ultimate risk-reward proposition. You just mentioned that your favorite team, the Giants, have two picks in the top ten. But you can't say that and not in the same breath say, oh, and by the way, part of the reason that the Giants are in this situation is because they used a number two overall on Saquon. Like Jets fans coming in and saying, oh, it's all going to be fixed for the Jets. We had two picks in the top ten. You just wasted a top ten pick on Zach Wilson. I mean, I know it's early. It's early to say wasted. Maybe things get turned around. Jets fans about to start calling in now. I know, I know. Uh, but but you've got to look at it and, and remind yourself. And I'm the ultimate. I I can throw this shade. I will never forget last year. I covered three days of the NFL draft. There was one pick over three days on the NFL draft. There was one time for every single pick that my producers got in my ear and said, "Oh my God, you have to stall. We don't have anything ready for this draft pick." And that was Alex Leatherwood the uh, Alabama offensive lineman that was picked by my beloved Raiders in the first round. It has become such a signature that the Raiders are going to blow their first round pick that they actually put the camera right in my face and set it there early just to make sure they have a framed reaction of me getting my heart ripped out and stomped on. So what's the point of first round picks when more often than not they end up being somebody that you may or may not be taking the fifth year option on? We'll see how it goes. Like, that's... Uh, I. There is not an amount of draft picks I would not give up to get Patrick Mahomes, to get a young quarterback that is, and that's part of the reason that uh, for everything that is far less important than what's happened off the field, part of the reason that there will be market value for Deshaun Watson no matter what happens if he is cleared criminally is because people will give up whatever it takes to get a talent like Deshaun Watson that's young. Like, that's the craziest part of all of this. I I respect Washington being aggressive. Unfortunately, Washington at some point can call every single team and they can interview every single quarterback they want. And at the end of it all, they're going to come to the realization that there are a solid six that's going to end up with a quarterback that's a solid six because that's the way this is all going to work this offseason. And Washington Commanders fans are going to be just absolutely apoplectic when they realize that their choice is Mitchell Trubisky or Kenny Pickett. Oh, that's not sexy. Speaking of quarterbacks, how many teams in the NFL actually have their quarterback situation figured out completely? The answer will shock you. We'll tell you next. Spain and Fitz. Quarterback is the most important position in all of sports. So how is it possible when you actually look around the NFL, most teams have no idea what they're doing at that position. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Jason Fitz flying solo and... Look, it's simple. When it comes down to it, you've got to know what you're doing at quarterback to know the direction of your entire franchise. And direction's an important part of this conversation. When you talk about GMs and, and coaches and everybody that comes in new on organizations when there's a rebuild, part of what you've got to have is the, the popular phrase we always like to use, everybody on the same page, right? And the best way for everybody to be on the same page is if you turn around and have a great quarterback. Now, there are very good quarterbacks in the NFL, and there are teams that currently have very good quarterbacks in the NFL, but that doesn't mean they can really say they're set at that position. We're talking about in terms of play. We're talking about in terms of contract or trade situations. When you bundle all of that together, you can make the argument 
that there are about six teams in the entire league that actually know what the hell they're doing. The Chiefs, top of the list, Patrick Mahomes. I'll put the Chiefs right there. Bills fans, don't at me. I was getting there. Josh Allen, right? Uh, the Bills were very patient, and this is amazing how this conversation can change, right? Because it wasn't that long ago that everybody thought Josh Allen was going to be a bust. But the Bills said, shut up. I don't want to hear what you have to say about it. We will be patient. We will do this the right way, and we will build. And now they have an MVP caliber quarterback. They love him. He loves the city. The fan base loves him. Josh Allen going to be there for a very long time. They're set. I'd argue that the Chargers, Justin Herbert, right now, feels like everybody's pretty happy in that relationship. Justin Herbert has played incredibly well. I do think the pressure cooker is going to start to get a little hotter for the next couple of years. There's going to be expectation as we do all the time where we'll say, well, he's got to do it in the playoffs. Like, that's going to be part of it. Let's remember that Justin Herbert had the chance to win his way into the playoffs in the last game of the regular season and did not. Another team set there, said from total Raiders bias, by the way. Another team set, I'd say the Cowboys, right? The Cowboys know what they're doing at the quarterback position for the next several years, and they've got a good one. Dak Prescott, there's not a lot left to be discussed, right? The Bengals set for a very long time. They got Joe Burrow. They got Joe Burrow, and they got Joe Burrow on a rookie deal. Now you can look at some of these guys and say, oh, man, how awesome is it that they're young? Like, if you're Josh Allen, you're Patrick Mahomes, you're Justin Herbert, you're Joe Burrow, hell, even Dak Prescott. You got a decade where all of these teams can look around and say, hey, we're good. I'd argue right now that you could probably put Matt Stafford and the Rams on that list. Like, I feel like you got to feel pretty confident about a quarterback that played as well down the stretch as he did and won a Super Bowl. Like, so I would add the Rams and Stafford to that list, and I personally would add Lamar Jackson. Now, that can get heated. Because we understand that Lamar Jackson has a contract situation. I just can't find a single scenario that doesn't have Lamar Jackson ending up. Like, I can find a plausible scenario, even if I think it's unlikely. I can find, like, I'm a horror movie fan. Everybody knows I love horror movies. There's certain things you just accept when you're watching a horror movie. Like, there's certain holes in the plot you know just aren't going to make a lot of sense, but it doesn't matter because you're really here to watch Michael Myers. And you know he's died 18 times. It doesn't matter. That's what you're here for. I can I can handle the holes in the plots because I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going anywhere. But I can see the hole in the plot and, and be like, okay, I understand it. I don't think Russell Wilson's going anywhere. But I can see how we get there. I can at least sit in the theater and say, okay, I don't love it, but I understand how you got there. There is no plot that doesn't end up with the Ravens and Lamar Jackson together for a very long time. He's going to get paid. He's going to get paid. He's going to get that massive bag of cash. The Ravens are going to get worked out. Why? Because there just aren't any other options, right? So that gives me six if we count Stafford seven. Out of 32 teams, that's it. Out of 32 teams. And with a narrative that is just absolutely jammed down our throats constantly, that if you don't have a quarterback, you can't win, I can only make a compelling argument for at most seven guys being the guy in a way you don't even have to think about? Man, think about that for a second. And think about how much it's changed. Drew Brees, Andrew Luck at one point, we all thought that was going to be fine. Ben Roethlisberger. You know, it's so difficult to find the guy that you can bank on. And now you're looking across the board and saying, wait a minute. Wait a minute. For everybody that comes in and says, oh, we are going to find our quarterback. Look at this list. 
and then realize that what you're asking for is actually rare. It's virtually impossible. If you're telling me that the best football minds in the world are sitting down and they're scouting every single second of film from every college quarterback and they're scouting every single second of film from every free agent, every backup, every single person in the league, and they are absolutely desperately hunting for the one thing they know can save their franchise, can save their jobs, and save their futures in the NFL, and that's the guy locked up long-term in a way that you don't have to worry about it. And I can find seven of them? The Browns got no idea what they're doing. The Vikings got no idea what they're doing. The Raiders, my beloved Raiders, Boy, that gets contentious anytime you have a conversation about Derek Carr. The Panthers, no idea what they're doing. The Broncos are just be- the Broncos are begging the world for a scratch-off lottery ticket that gives them an answer for a stacked roster that's really good and they can't find a quarterback. The Saints lost. Steelers lost. Bucks lost. Washington desperate for Kenny Pickett to have bigger hands. I'd have told you that Kyler Murray was on this list. A week ago, but now we don't even know if Kyler's going to be happy. We don't know if Kyler's going to stick around. Tua was supposed to be the answer. He's not. Look up and down the list. That's why we need to change the way we think about the quarterback position. Because realistically, if you're telling me that throughout the 32 best teams in the entire world, only about seven of them, less than a quarter. I'm not good at math, but I know that's less than a quarter. Have an idea of what they're doing at the quarterback position, man, you got to stop looking around. Stop looking around for perfection and start looking around for good enough. You got to stop looking around hoping you got the next Joe Burrow. You got to stop looking around hoping you got the next Peyton Manning. And you just got to start looking around and hoping you're not stuck with Jameis Winston. That's real, y'all. And through any conversation that we have about the quarterback uh, tiers in the NFL, And why we all think that our favorite team should have Aaron Rodgers. Understand Aaron Rodgers isn't even on this list. Because the Packers don't know what they're doing. And we don't know where the Packers are going to go. This list changes a lot. But there's a lot of youth on it. There's a lot of young guys that are absolutely stellar. A lot of young guys that are spectacular. And it took development. It took patience with Josh Allen. It took patience with Mahomes. It's it's taken a, a, a belief in Herbert that not everybody had. Not everybody saw it from Prescott. But what we have to acknowledge is that trying to find one of those five or six guys that are actually going to be the diamond in the rough, it's tougher than winning the lottery. Did you know you can win the lottery by listening to Spain and Fitz commercial free? That's right. You can listen to all your favorite ESPN radio shows and much more without the ads on TuneIn, the best audio app for sports fans. Just download the TuneIn app to get started. We're going to get you a KD update. He has made his return and I got a hot take on the NBA regular season. You got to hear it. It's next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. KD's back. And after one quarter of action, nine points on four or six shooting, the Nets are handling the heat. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Jason Fitz flying solo. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Don't want to get you a quick uh, note on the NFL scouting combine. Apparently, Chris Olave, the wide receiver out of Ohio State, has decided to, in the words of Damian Woody, Choose violence tonight. Just ran a 4-2-6-40. So uh, for everybody keeping an eye on the wide receiver class, 
Chris Olave probably just cemented himself as a much higher draft pick with a 4-2-6 40-yard dash. And, uh, by the way, incredible receiver. So I hope he gets everything uh, that he wants out of life. Uh, Going to be great at the next level. In the meantime, KD, great right now. Coming right back in. And, you know, there, there's this moment of trying to figure out what to make of any of these games. And when you've got the Heat playing the Nets in Brooklyn, Brooklyn's up by 10 right now. Uh, you're looking at this and trying to figure out what's important. And I, I think for a lot of us, as I said earlier, as we look across the regular season and we don't necessarily see consistent results or consistent health, it becomes what are we actually looking for? And when you think about what we're looking for, then you have to ask yourself what matters. And that's why, frankly, I think somebody needs to finally realize that by our own fault, the NBA regular season is now meaningless. Like, you can be a great team in the NBA regular season. Nobody cares. You become a conversation point if you're Golden State and you have a massive regular season and don't win the championship, right? You become a conversation point about what you couldn't get done if your team goes out and destroys everybody during the regular season. And then in the regular season, if you're a team that's playing lights out, if you're Memphis in the regular season, taking everybody by storm, trying to figure out exactly how good they could be in the West, if you're Chicago in the East and everybody keeps saying, no, the season's going to fall apart and you just keep finding ways to win. Well, the easy narrative, haven't seen it in the playoffs. Nope. Not going to trust them until we see them do it in the playoffs. Then, then we hear, oh, playoff de- basketball is so much different than regular season basketball. It's about adjustments. It's about matchups. All of this leads us to one conclusion. The NBA regular season is meaningless. If you're looking at the Brooklyn Nets right now, if they put everything together and they go into the playoffs and they blow it in the first round, will this season have been a success? Will they be treated politely on debate shows? No. Now, if the Nets go in and they barely scrap their way into the playoffs, but Ben Simmons gets healthy, right? And they they find themselves at the end of the year suddenly having Kyrie available for all games. Then all of a sudden, they go on a run in the playoffs. They get themselves to the NBA Finals. Will the season have been a success? Absolutely. You know, that's the part of it that you have to to remind yourself of. We've set the standard. And the standard is nothing matters until the playoffs. We've set the standard for the Lakers, right? Lakers might get into the playoff, and then what? Or the play-in? They get into the play-in, then what are they going to do? Well, can they beat a team like Phoenix? I mean, this season's an epic fail for the Lakers. But it was going to be an epic fail if they didn't advance in the playoffs anyway. When you start talking about what we value, heck, even individual legacies, right? We, we will turn around and fault any individual legacy that doesn't involve enough championships. Now, we're at the spot where losing finals rounds becomes a reason to negate your legacy. Really? I mean, losing in the finals is a reason that you're not a great player? That's what we do. And when you put that much emphasis on what happens at the end of the season, it makes what's happening right now feel worthless. In fact, I asked Nick Friedle earlier on this show, he covers the Nets, I asked him if if everything goes right 
if Kyrie's back, there's no mandate that keeps him from playing in New York. If, if KD's on the court and they get Ben Simmons back, what can they do in the East? And this is what he said. I think they can get out of the East, yeah. And, and it just – in order to believe that, Fitz, you've got to believe in something you can't see right now. <laughs> and it's tough given what we've seen. But Kyrie is unbelievable offensively. Kevin Durant, for my money, is still the best player in the game. And Simmons, even if he comes back not at the same level but at a high level uh, after being off for so long, where his strengths are are where they're deficient, perimeter defense, getting the ball up and down the floor, creating for everybody else. So I think they can get out of the East, but a lot of different things have to fall in place the right way. And if Kyrie can't play in home games or Simmons comes back and he's not exactly the same, I don't think it can happen. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, Jason Fitz flying solo. That was Nick Friedle talking about the Nets. The eight-seed Nets, the 32-31 and 31 Nets. Think about that. Is that good? Like, we love it when a wild-card team in the NFL goes on an unexpected run and gets to the Super Bowl. And, you know, we'll always, as a society, root for a Giants team to end an undefeated season because we seem to love chaos more than we love greatness. That's fine. I'll accept that we love chaos more than we love greatness. But when you start talking about the NBA and the problem they have, the problem is, as we sit here and look at a team that's sitting at the eight seed, it's not an encouraging moment that they could go out and win it all. It's a statement to what they're really playing for right now. They're playing to make sure they knock off the rust. They're playing to make sure that they get a little bit of time together on the court. They're playing to make sure that they get a sense of who they're going to be. And if they get all of those things, because through it all, they are so stinking talented they're going to be a problem for everybody. And that's the weird part about it. In the meantime, we're looking at the Bucs. We're not even paying attention to the Bucs. Milwaukee finally did it last year. Milwaukee ended the yeah, buts, as we said last season. They ended the yeah, but they haven't managed to do it in the playoffs. Yeah, but we really haven't seen Giannis pick it up like that. Yeah, but Budenholzer's not a good enough coach. We found every single yeah, but for the Bucks that negated their greatness in the regular season because it doesn't matter, and then we used that against them when we had to expect what they would accomplish in the playoffs. And the Bucs finally finished that, and now what happens? Now they become what happens to most good teams like that. They become invisible in the regular season. Because we don't really care. Because we're waiting for it. In fact, I asked Legs, Tim Legler, with, with us last night, I asked him if we should be paying more attention to Milwaukee, and this is what he said. Last year, they were very much under the radar. They had some injuries throughout the year. They didn't care that no one talked about them, and they ended up winning a championship. They're kind of in the same boat because there's been certainly more interesting storylines, and that's what we gravitate toward, which what went on with Philly and Brooklyn all year, obviously, and, and with Simmons sitting out with the issues with Harden and Kyrie and Brooklyn. They dominated the talk. Look at the Western Conference, the year that Phoenix has had, Golden State getting Clay Thompson back. You've got the Memphis Grizzlies, one, been one of the best stories in the league. So there's just been better stories storylines and Milwaukee just looks up and they're cruising along and the playoffs are around the corner and they absolutely are a team that can get to the finals like no one should be surprised if the Milwaukee Bucks end up back in the finals again and we just don't talk about it 
because it's regular season and, you know, let's see what happens. Like, realistically, most diehard NBA fans, I, I genuinely believe, like, everybody wants to see the Nets get healthy, the Sixers get healthy, and end up with some sort of Simmons versus Embiid uh, Eastern Conference final because that gives us all the drama you could possibly have. And in the NBA, everything's about drama. Any opportunity to make things contentious. Like, I, I would argue that the NBA as a league right now has just got to be absolutely begging and pleading for some opportunity to get the Warriors versus the Nets as a final because that gives us the opportunity to talk heroes and villains and good guys and bad guys and everything that makes it compelling. The problem is all of the that compelling content is built around the playoffs. And what you have right now in the NBA regular season are a bunch of young players that are playing lights out. You got a bunch of stars that are acting like stars. You got John Morant that's fun to watch. And we'll excuse all of it because we haven't seen it in the playoffs. But the real message behind you haven't seen it in the playoffs, what you're really saying right there is our regular season doesn't matter. And at some point, might not be today, might not be this year, might not be for five years, but at some point, devaluing your product for the regular season will have consequence when people stop paying attention. That's the damage that's done if Brooklyn goes on a run after a bad regular season and wins an NBA title. All right, we're all paying attention to the NFL Combine. We got quarterbacks. We got receivers. Everybody's out there showing theirs. Who's the most interesting prospect this year? We'll ask one of my favorites, Mina Kimes, next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Let's get a sense of what's going on in Indianapolis from Mina Kimes, ESPN NFL analyst. She's there. Mina, I saw you earlier today say that Malik Willis might be the most interesting prospect in this year's draft. Why? Well, he's an enigma. I mean, he's a wild card. I'm trying to think of other uh, synonyms for wild card. He's a prospect who is going to be tantalizing to NFL teams because of his tools and the potential upside but he's also one where his floor could be, frankly, lower than a lot of the other first-round uh, draft picks or first-round quarterbacks, rather. I mean, when you watch his tape, like, the, the rushing ability, I believe, Jason, going to the NFL, he already is, will be one of the three best rushing quarterbacks in football. It's, frankly, unbelievable. The combination of physicality, top-end speed, power is amazing. His uh, ability to make off-platform throws, the deep ball, beautiful, but... You're missing that down-to-down consistency, the accuracy, the offense he ran at Liberty is far from an NFL offense. So there's a lot of question marks about whether any of this translates. And I'll be fascinating to see whether any team decides to make that bet. And that speaks to needing continuity and, and in my mind, time, like going somewhere where he can get the time to develop where he doesn't have to play right out of the gate. What type of team do you think is best suited for him? I couldn't agree more, and I would love to see him land with a team like Atlanta, right, where they can't move on from Matt Ryan for cap reasons. So having the opportunity to have Malik sit for a year behind Matt Ryan, learn from him, develop, would be fantastic. But unfortunately, they're picking at eight, so it might be a little bit rich to take quarterback who's not even going to play. Don't know how the fan base would react to that, especially given uh, how winnable the NFC South is right now. We're talking to Mina Kimes, ESPN NFL analyst. The other big news today, Kenny Pickett, tiny hands. How big a deal should baby that hands. actually be? The baby hands Pickett. I got something in common with him, Mina. I got tiny hands, too. Listen, I got tiny. We measured our hands around NFL Live. I came in at about seven and a half. So, you know, I'm the tiny teapot calling the kettle tiny. I don't know. But anyways, <laughs> it's hard because normally I really think this is kind of overstated. Um, 
you know, Joe Burrow famously had nine inch hands and made a lot of great jokes about it. But Joe Burrow also had an elite trait, which was his accuracy and pocket management. And I'm not sure if Kenny Pickett has the sort of elite traits it takes to compensate for having a flaw like small hands. And it is a flaw. It does make you more prone to fumbling the football, which is bigger than the NFL. He did fumble quite a bit at Pitt. And it's something that's going to be uh, a concern for NFL teams. I think it's not going to be an overriding concern, largely due to the quality of his competition. But it's definitely something that will register, especially to organizations in cities that have cold weather like Pittsburgh. By the time the combine is done and this draft process really like gets, gets hot here, are we going to be looking at any of these quarterbacks as suddenly being top 10 worthy picks? Oh, 100%. It happens every year. Come on. Like Right now, we can rationally say, let's look at the tape. None of these guys are as polished as you'd like to be to be a first-round quarterback. None of them are pro-ready, whatever. But by the time the draft rolls around, absolutely one or more teams will talk themselves into taking quarterback in the top ten. Wouldn't be surprised if it's uh, the two guys we mentioned, by the way, Pickett and Willis, especially in a year where there are teams like Washington at 11. Well, they're 11, but Pittsburgh and New Orleans teams that might trade up to get the guy that they want. So will Russell Wilson be the quarterback of the Seahawks, Mina, when the season starts? Yes. Next question. <laughs> Thank you. At least, hey, we agree with this. So now where do you think Aaron Rodgers, like does Aaron Rodgers end up back in Green Bay? Yes. I'm sorry. I know that's boring. I know we really want to do like speculation and put them in new teams and, and have fun with that. But frankly, I just don't see either of these those quarterbacks moving on. I think I don't think Aaron Rodgers um, sees a better situation. And I think Wilson, uh, I just don't see why Seattle would agree to it, candidly. See, what I love about this is you're echoing what I said last night, which makes me feel really smart. We're talking to Mina Kimes, ESPN NFL analyst, Spain and Fitz, Jason Fitz, flying solo. So when all of a sudden you start looking at the quarterback market, then we're really talking about a Jimmy G or a Mitchell Trubisky or a Kenny Pickett. Like, it just feels like this might be the year where teams should just take a flyer on not taking a quarterback and wait until next year, doesn't it? Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, the top free agent would be Jameis Winston, by the way, and um, you know, it's, it's hard when you look at teams like, Hey, I'm here in Indianapolis and there's a lot of speculation about them moving on from Carson Wentz, not speculation. I mean, the freaking general manager is coming out and basically telling the world they're not thrilled with how the season ended. But then you look at the options out there, the ones you just mentioned, the ones in draft, by the way, they don't have first rounder because they traded him for Carson Wentz. And even if they have cap space, I don't really know what they would do with it. And, and so in some, it's not a good year to need a quarterback. And if you've got one, uh, I, w- I would tough it out, see how it goes. Mina, you mentioned you're in Indianapolis. Who are you really looking forward to seeing in this process at the Combine? Um, you know, there's some receivers that are really exciting because of their elite physical tools. Drake London out of USC, who's about six foot four, kind of shades of Mike Evans, a little thinner, is extremely fast for that size. So excited to see him work out on the field. Um, yeah, a couple of the other guys, I mean, just Traylon Burks out of Arkansas, again, just physically super imposing Devo Samuel vibes in terms of his ability to get yards after the catch, tackle-breaking uh, tool. So I'm excited to watch them. And then the edge rushers, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau and Aiden Hutchinson, both super toolsy, super talented, super likely to go in the top five.
When you look at teams in Indy that have new leadership, and yes, partially is Raiders' question as always, but when you look at a team that has new leadership in general, how do other teams figure out what that team might be doing in the draft? Because so much of it is a cat and mouse chess match. When you don't know the guys that are running these franchises, what their tendencies are, how will that impact the draft in your mind? impacts it too much because like when you look at these teams and their team needs uh they kind of translate across uh i would say leadership right like team needs a wide receiver like cleveland doesn't matter who the coaches who the front offices although there's continuity there i will say like there's some stylistic things that factor in for example your beloved las vegas raiders have a new defensive coordinator and patrick graham so i imagine there's going to be some schematic evolution from what what Gus Bradley ran, which was that traditional cover three. So if they were to take a cornerback or any defensive player, it might look a little bit different, but the knees remain the same. You guys can follow her on Twitter, at Mina Kimes, as always. Watch NFL Live every day on ESPN. You're crushing it. Just so happy to have you on the show, and keep killing it, Mina. Appreciate you. That's also what's happening right now uh, at the Combine as wide receivers are running and – it is a delight. We told you earlier that uh, Olave ran a four-two-six. They're all seemingly running in the four threes and faster. So it is a stunning development to see everybody going in and just crushing. I mean, we knew people would be fast. I don't know that we knew everybody in this class would be this fast. So uh, congratulations to the guys that are running today. That's a big deal for wide receivers as everybody loves uh, epic speed and it becomes such a conversation spot across the the league at the wide receiver position specifically. But uh, to see it come in this way, uh, where there's, there is at least talk. I haven't been able to confirm it, but there is at least talk. It looks like the possibility of a new combine record uh, being run. So, Uh, Let's see how that works out uh, over the course of the next uh, couple of minutes. We'll get more updates on that. Uh, But, you know, when you start talking about the the speed of these guys coming out this year, that was going to be a real question. Olave, I think, being one of the guys by running a 4-2-6 that has really helped himself in a draft class that is stacked at wide receiver. So love seeing guys get in there and thrive. Love seeing guys run this much uh, with this much speed. It's really good for everybody that's involved in the game. Uh, Matt in Cincinnati uh, chiming in on the show. Matt, you disagree with me about regular season games in the NBA. What do you got? Thanks for calling. Yeah, I appreciate you taking it. Um, I just want to like address the mundaneness of the regular season in the NBA. I think uh, there's a couple people that disagree with you. Uh, one being John ja Morant and uh, just breakout season he's had and just the influence that he's had on the game, really. I mean, look at uh, college players from Purdue. You got uh, Ivy coming out of there. And then uh, number one out of Arkansas, I can't remember his name right now, but he's putting on a show and resembles a lot of traits like uh, like John Morant. So I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, you're right. Look, I'm, I'm a massive Ja fan. I'm all in on Ja, and I love everything about what the Grizzlies are doing. Thanks for the call, Matt. I appreciate it. But I also look at, at the job part of it is – for right now, it's great. Today, everybody will fall in love with John Morant and the Grizzlies. And then it'll take about two seconds before the entire conversation will be, well, he's got to do it in the playoffs. 
Like, look at how much more we fell in love with Devin Booker when he started to play the way he played in the playoffs. Then it was like, oh, well, now this is real. And and you're not wrong. Like, it's almost like you have to get through the regular season performance to get to the playoff performance. But if Ja goes out and lays an egg in the playoffs, and I don't think that'll happen, but if Ja goes out and is awful, are we suddenly going to – uh, are, are we suddenly going to, like, change the way we, we view him? Yeah, a lot of people will. It'll be, oh, he can't handle the big moment. I don't think it should be that. That's just what happens in this process. So, you know, maybe the right way to do it is for me, you know, with the microphone to give more credence to the, the regular season and less to the playoffs and try and balance those scales myself, in fairness. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to get back to the NFL, a major change to the NFL and how they've operated over the past couple of seasons and – Super Bowl halftime controversy. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Man, I feel bad even talking over this. It's delightful. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. Want to say thanks to Nick Friedle and Mina Kimes for making time to hang out with us, obviously, throughout the course of the night. Uh, some big news in the NFL that I want to get you caught up on. The league sent a memo to the 32 teams in which it says uh, that they are re- they are eliminating the COVID-19 protocols. They're suspending, I should say. The NFL and the NFL Players Association have agreed to suspend those protocols, citing decreasing spread. So it says there are, quote, encouraging trends regarding the prevalence and severity of COVID-19, the evolving guidance from the CDC, changes to state law, and the counsel of our re- respective experts as reasons for the move. So... Uh, they could obviously reimpose any aspects of the protocol, uh, but it would have to do so with the Players Association. So important to note that now when you're asked what the COVID protocols are for the National Football League, the answer to that question is none for the first time in a couple of years. It's, it's business as usual. Everything goes back to what you're used to seeing. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance, protecting your business with specialized coverages for your commercial vehicles. More at ProgressiveCommercial.com. I think the biggest part of these this change that everybody needs to keep an eye on is what it means for the players, frankly, because the players have been so restricted in what they're allowed to do, when they're allowed to do it, and how they're allowed to do it for the last couple of years. I can't imagine what it feels like to walk into the facility and know that now you are all you, you can all do what you want. They make it clear that you can still wear masks if you want to, but you don't have to. So uh, interesting to see for the players, and uh, kudos for the NFL and the players for working together to continue to find solutions, but also to continue to evolve on all of this. I don't think anything about this conversation needs to be stuck in one spot, and I think that the evolution of thought and process on it is something that should happen as everybody gets more data and as things continue to change. So kudos to the NFL for being fluid. Uh, no kudos to Tom Brady, however. Uh, the former Bucks quarterback uh, decided – to you know, just sort of give us all something to talk about. He was on the Fred Couple Show on Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio, and he was asked about his future. This is what he said. I wish I had a, a, a clear vision of what the future holds, but I think for me there's, you know, a lot of, um, there's a lot of great things ahead and a lot of great opportunities. I know I said right after football season I was looking forward to spending time with my family, and I've done that the last five weeks, and I know there will be a lot more of that too, so... Um, you know, I like staying busy. That's for sure. I played a little bit of golf and I'm actually going to see my parents tonight, which will be a real highlight for me on their turf. I'll be sleeping in the same bed I slept at when I was a kid. I don't think my mom knows I'm coming home yet. So it's just between my dad and I is a little bit of a surprise. So looking forward to that, looking forward to some golf, uh, in the next few days and some more family time. And then we'll figure out 
where we go from there. I mean, the fact that so much of this is not really sure, like on the one hand, I want to respect that. And I do respect the fact that everybody can turn in and turn around and say, okay, well, you know, I, I don't know what's next and trying to figure it out and, you know, got a lot going on. But, man, this just all of this, the number of times we need to hear these guys say, hey, I'm out. Like, I understand the I need to time, I got time, I got to figure things out. But if you've already told the world you're retiring, that part needs to stay clear. It needs to be clear because otherwise everybody's just hanging on saying, well, we're not sure and we don't know what's going to happen and how's it going to happen. And If you're the Buccaneers, you're looking at it, trying to cling to some level of hope because as we've been telling you all night, nobody knows what the hell they're doing at the quarterback position, which now includes Tampa Bay. I mean, Tampa's going to have to figure out quickly what to do with the roster that was built to try and win a bunch of Super Bowls that now doesn't have a quarterback. If you're Tom Brady, there's such an easy way to say, look, I know I'm retired from football, but I don't know what I'm going to do next. Super easy answer to a super simple question. And you know that everybody's going to be constantly trying to push you back towards the game. So you got to have that in your mind. I, I was prepared when I left the music business to come to sports. One thing I was prepared for was the number of questions that I was going to get constantly about would I go back. Did I want to be on the music side? Did I uh, just want to break from music? Was I going to make my way back to what I did before? Got to be prepared for those questions. And you got to be very clear in your answer for them. Even as a, a, a musician that 99% of you had never heard of, and, and now a sports talk person that 93% of you have never heard of, you still have to be clear and decisive on how you answer that message. I knew that. I'm not Tom Brady. Tom Brady knows the platform he has. Tom Brady knows the way we're going to analyze every single thing he says. And this is no different in this sense than Aaron Rodgers. Like, if y'all just want to be the center of attention, just stand up and tell me. I'd respect that more. Be honest with me. Just step up and say, you know what? I really love the fact that I can spin you guys up with anything I say. So I'm going to say something and just see what happens. I'd respect that more than constantly treating all of us like uh, we're too stupid to figure it out and then constantly being indecisive in just enough of a way that it makes everybody wonder what's next. Maybe some of this lies at our feet. Maybe we could all do a better job of taking athletes for their, at their word, for the very simplest things that they tell us. That doesn't seem to happen. And until that happens, athletes will have to continue to reinforce their message when they step away from the game repeatedly. That's just part of the process. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. The other part of the process that you always have to know when you are on a Super Bowl team is there are cameras everywhere, especially – at the Super Bowl. Now, I don't know how I missed this. And Devin, producer extraordinaire, you knew this. Everybody else seemed to know this. I didn't know that Evan McPherson, the kicker for the Bengals, was caught on camera being out uh, of the locker room watching the halftime show. You knew this, Devin, right? Yeah, I mean, if if you were monitoring Twitter throughout the Super Bowl, it was it was kind of a big deal because it was a real-time thing. Everyone was like, wow, Evan McPherson is not in the locker room with his teammates, and he's enjoying this halftime show is just as much as ever. I guess for you, you know, you, you – you were probably like so keyed into the halftime show and not really monitoring Twitter at the same time that you were you, you that's probably why you missed it. Yeah, a couple of things here. Number one, I, I stream uh, Hulu. Thank you, ESPN. Uh, Disney, uh, go get your Hulu. Uh, I, I stream everything I watch, which means I'm a couple minutes behind on everything. So I'm the first to admit, like, I'm the worst at, at staying on social media during games because I got to wait till it's a very clear break, and I know that I'm not two minutes behind. So during the halftime show, 
I was out on looking at any. And then when I started to look at some of the reactions that I thought were just trash, I wanted nothing to do with it. So I must have missed this. But also, I got to ask, because this came back up today when the special teams coordinator uh, for the uh, for the Bengals was asked about it, uh, Jay Morrison, and he said, quote, still a sore subject. It's a real sore subject. Why? I mean, realistically, I understand the importance of halftime adjustments. What are you adjusting for your kicker? What are you adjusting for his game plan? Like he, he's out there to kick. That's all he's going to do. Now, if you're calling an onside kick at some point, he's got to be ready for that. I can't imagine that that's something that they don't have signals for on the field. I mean, if he wants to watch a halftime show, this is one of those moments where kickers are different. How, how is it possible that football players can constantly remind us that played in the league that kickers aren't football players, but then we're going to yell if they're not in the locker room? My guy didn't miss a single kick in the postseason. He is absolutely as good as they come, right? So if that's the case, why are we even worried remotely about what he did during halftime? I'm not. Frankly, I don't think anybody is, really. I mean, if you start looking around, I don't think anybody's losing sleep over whether or not he was there. But fans sure are. And fans are going to continue to react to it. And I would challenge those fans to ask yourself why it really matters. I mean, ultimately, as long as he's making the kicks he's told to make, I don't think there's any adjustments that are going to be happening through there. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance, Spain and Fitz. I think sometimes we just get desperate for controversy, and that's what happens. Like, at some point, we just decide that something needs to be a big deal. Frankly, I love the idea of the guys standing out there watching the halftime show. It's fun. It's enjoyable. And at the end of the day, it is. While it's a business, it's supposed to be an enjoyable business for the players that are actually making their living doing it. So why don't we actually let players have fun? If you have any questions about Evan McPherson, you can just check out Freddie and Fitzsimmons. He's going to be hanging out with them next. Thanks, as always, for listening to Spain and Fitz. We're with you on ESPN Radio and always on the ESPN app.